And welcome to the Untold Hour. That's gross. That's my new thing is to do like a little, yeah, gurgle at the end of it. That's gross. I was thinking today a couple things. One, per listener request, we should probably pull back on our tangents let's say wait wait <laughs> who, who what what listener request well i missed the i missed the memo we just had a few we just had a yeah, few one we guy did was, have a few one guy was really fired up and i blocked him because i was like go fuck off with your attitude but i yeah. in general i i felt like everybody's um uh uh what's the word for it um mm, tolerance no, I was going to keep wanting to say creative commentary, but there's a different, it's not creative. <laughs> it's a different phrase. Criticism? Yeah, but what do you, Critique? constructive criticism. That's constructive what I criticism. Yeah. Everybody else, yeah. like in general, I, I got the constructive criticism vibe and I was like, I hear you. We can yeah. do that. Except for that one dude that had a bad attitude, in which case I was like, what was there's the attitude? fucking what, door. You don't need to know about problem? it. You don't need to know about it. OMG. It was probably about me specifically. I ranted for two weeks in a row. That's fine. I took it out. Anyway, um, speaking of tangents, so that was one thought. You took what? You took him out? I took him out. He's out. He's out. Yeah. I was like, well, you I don't think- pick on my friend like that. You're fucking, there's the door. Bye. <laughs> so we don't get to uh, rant about the craft at the top. No, of this I think we can. I think that's <laughs> I think that's viable because it is in line with what we're doing. But um, no, totally. I'm down for rant. I'm down for rent. I'm down for all of it. I'm just saying we should probably tighten it up in the future. For sure. Um, I think uh, I think uh, it's it's difficult because this is also like our personal time to connect. Yeah, you know what I we mean. Like you yeah. and I hang out on the podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes it, it, I think sometimes we get personal and, and ranty, but then other times we won't. Yeah. Um, Maybe. I definitely don't think we'll make a habit of, of getting too crazy too many weeks in a row. That's correct. I agree. I, I slapped it and trapped it two weeks in a row. Well, I'm also thinking too, if we do have a really good one, we can always tag it on the back end and that way people can have the option of whether they want to listen to it That's or not. true. Or we just yeah. got a Patreon and this is their free content. <laughs> yeah. You only get the rants. You only get the tangents if you become a patron. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. But then I was also thinking, and I'm just throwing this out there. Uh-huh. I don't know how you're going to feel about this. It Uh-oh. literally came to me while I was mopping the floor, like most of my phenomenal ideas in life do when I'm cleaning. Yeah. Um, you're going to kill me. What if we just oh go back to bizarre states? Whoa. I don't know. <laughs> Plot twist. I don't know. What Plot are you thinking? Twist. Should we just do it? Or are we- Wait, what's making you think that? Oh, I don't know. I don't- That's wild. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a thought. I didn't even know if uh, if that was, I didn't know that was an option. It's Do not we even know if it's that's not an not an option. Oh, it's an option. <laughs> it's an option know. to think about, especially and you and I'll talk about it on the side privately. Yeah. But um, it's an option to think about that maybe yeah. want to shift back. And I don't know if that would hurt us or help us or not do anything at all. But just throwing that out there. 
Um, I mean, I like kind of delineating eras. I like I like it being like this is the new jam. But I understand also, you know, not everybody does like that, and there is some value yeah. to to sticking with what was uh, done prior. I'll be honest, I'm torn. I'm I'm truly torn between the two, and I can't make a decision on it obviously without think, your input and nor would I want to. So yeah, just a thought I'll run things by you after the fact and give you all the deets, but you know, it's also difficult because the untold hour was born at the start of this pandemic. So I almost feel like we, we still haven't gotten to explore fully what the new podcast can be. Cause we were be, you know, going to be able to go to a studio yeah. every week and invite guests and we've still done guests but it's just different. over zoom everything just feels like it's still on hold yeah. so i don't feel like we've been able to put the pedal to the metal yet that's a that's it. a very good point maybe yeah. i'm just getting frustrated with covid and how it is yeah. affected things i'm getting impatient i definitely feel like it is kick-started well i shouldn't say kicks okay so tangent time guys so i have felt right. For since I turned 40, I have felt like I've been keeping a mild midlife crisis at bay. And usually by keeping it at bay, it's through travel and like taking breaks and like hanging out, like doing girls weekends and things of that nature. Or like just my yearly trip to Japan that I save for. And like, that's the thing that I do to go and reset and like find myself and come home and like everything's great again. Obviously that is not happening. And so this this 40 something year old, you know, monkey on my back has been, yeah, is like starting to get a little aggressive. And I feel like yeah. I am about to have like a full blown midlife crisis. Like next time well, you I think- me is going to be like, it's not just going to be just because hair colors change. Like it usually is. Right. Like, whoa, I don't know. I think that's what's happening with a lot of people, and even even to relate it back to maybe why I freaked out two weeks in a row about career, it's because the pandemic has put a real like bottleneck on uh, productivity. And obviously, there's bigger issues. It's also been killing people. But I think a lot of people, they've lost their jobs. Yeah. There's career opportunities that are now gone. There's changes in life. There's travel. There's, I mean, I we haven't even talked about this, but there was a possible job I was going to have that was different than the one I currently have right before the pandemic that mm-hmm. that opportunity went away. So I think we're also feeling the pressure of just there. It's all, it was already hard to like get through doors, but now there's just even less doors because yeah. of what's happening. And there's definitely less options to feel like you can get out and shake things up just in your daily life. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm just on, that's just, you know, I'm just on that ride. Totally. Right yeah. But um, that aside, uh yes i will deal with myself (laughs) somehow that aside uh i'll talk to you about the other stuff um okay later and see what you think offline offline and then um i because i covered the main story today i was asking you to cover the news but i too did not know that the craft just released their trailer today so yeah, well, it's, you it's not deep dive into the craft. I'm down for totally. that too. It's not tangential to talk about it. It could be considered news if we we don't really cover like just movie news. But uh, I've got a bunch of weird news pulled that. All right, let's I just decided, do it all. Fuck it. I decided to stay on top. I, I pulled like weird animal news for some reason. But 
to talk about the craft at the start so for those that don't know there is a direct sequel to the 1996 film the craft coming out from blumhouse and blumhouse is known for their original horror films like happy death day and get out but they're also known for doing a lot of sequels like the halloween 2018 movie or uh, weird horror reboots like Fantasy Island as a horror film that yeah. came out last year. Uh, they also made the movie The Hunt, which was the last movie I saw in theaters before the shutdown. But people were excited about this 2020, The Craft. It's being directed by a woman named Zoe Lister-Jones, who is primarily an actress, but uh, did direct a small indie feature a few years ago. And I think did a web series, directed some small things. And it's a really, like, fun, inclusive cast. Uh, but it was expected to go to theaters. Now we find out they drop a trailer today, a month before, it's coming to VOD. And so some people have said, oh, well, that must mean there's problems because they've pushed a lot of their bigger releases to stay theatrical. Mm-hmm. But this they are putting on VOD. I watched the trailer. I have a lot of opinions. I don't know if you have a lot of opinions. I mean, you're I have a craft some fan. opinions because I am a craft okay. fan. I feel like I can't share my opinions first because the sentiment on Twitter today was men that don't like the craft trailer, shut the fuck up. That was the sentiment. So I'm smart enough to know, even though I'm a diehard horror fan and I've got opinions on the craft remake out my asshole, that maybe I won't share any of them publicly. I don't share anything publicly on Twitter as far as my opinions go. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, nobody knows I hated Hereditary and you know, uh, think that the Haunting of Hill House is hallmark horror, Christian horror filmmaking. But on the podcast, I like being more honest because it's just you and me and our trusted <laughs> listeners that yeah. never criticize me and troll me online on our Facebook group. Well, not the ones um, that I let you see anyway. Yeah, exactly. I make sure to ban the ones that do. Right. So I haven't. So I haven't said anything, but uh, what did you think when you watched the trailer? I thought it looked like the same exact movie as the first one for the most part, you know, I'm sure there'll be some changes, but it was like the same thing, like shy, kind of somewhat awkward girl moves into a new place, has a new school, has an incident where she gets made fun of it. You know, the the group comes and finds her. I think they find her crying in the bathroom, which is what happened in the first one. Like, you know, it's basically like, so had you not told me it's supposed to be a sequel, I would have assumed it was a remake based off right. of the trailer because everything is like the exact same beat. Yeah, beat beat for beat. The the cast I don't know much about in general overall. Yeah. They seem fine. They seem good enough, like fine. Right. Um it seems a little more lighthearted, like they're leaning more into the trendy witchcraft that is currently out there on the Instas yeah. and in- Kind like, of felt like the Charmed reboot, which was well, also like, like- Yeah, very like glitter, very, um, yeah. very Earth Mother Goddess kind of stuff, very, um, very, uh, very crystals and flowers and, you know, like all of it seemed very more, yeah, more leaning rock. Yeah, more leaning into Wicca and New uh-huh. Age vibes visually than um, like old school hardcore stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. but I don't know because they also didn't show any of the actual ceremonies. 
So I'm not sure if visually it just looks like that or yeah. are they going to actually, I don't know what is making that beeping noise. I'm so sorry. It's driving me nuts. It's just the witches. It's just the witches. No, it's my security system, but I don't know why. Um, but um, yeah, going back to that, I think I would have to see the movie to see if visually they're just trying to uh, to appeal to that audience because obviously that's what this movie's made for is kind of that right. trendy Instagram, you know, preteen to like young adults, yeah, female audience. But I would I hope that they actually have some legitimate like witchcraft ceremonies and background and history involved in it because that's what I kind of enjoyed about the first one is it was like, you know, still a watered down version, but it it took some actual like things from that. And it's also what I liked from the movie, the love witch, which was highly stylized um, and kind of goofy, but also like really hit home with the actual, like the witchcraft of it all. So I could look past the visuals, which don't in particularly, particularly appeal to me per se is as long as the um backbone of the witch craft is kept intact does that make sense totally no it totally does and it may be intact when we watch the film yeah i mean the trailer to me was was uh uninspired and it felt like they sucked out i don't understand when they do these remakes or reboots or whatever why they they choose to make something devoid of style. I mean, the the shots, I, I screenshot just two key moments, the light as a feather, stiff as a board, and the we are the weirdos. And the the two shots from the original are just like, they pop right away. Yeah. The depth in the scene, the set design, the art direction, the, the, the even down to the wardrobe that kind of informs the characters. You can get the perspective and state of each character. Yeah, you can tell looking who's Looking at their who. wardrobe. Yeah. You can tell who's who. Each of those personalities are so defined, and that's in the aesthetic first. Uh, whereas uh, the other, the, the light as a feather, stiff as a board scene in this new trailer, it looks like a shot out of Gilmore Girls. It, the style of it is a TV movie approach. I mean, the the cinematography it is does like very sterile. Look very TV, like very TV, like movie. CW's take on the craft for sure. Like, but that they sure. got the big CW budget, but it's still CW, right? Right, but there's still something a little too clean about it. It's yeah, it's a little clean. Again, I think that that is the like you like for me that is the um, the styles and the effects. The effects seem very obvious. A lot of like Tinkerbell pixie dust effect, which I think in the first one you still had effects, but that what you could get away practical. Like I felt like you got some practical effects in the first one as well as obviously for the witch stuff. that I also, I also, based on the trailer, I'm trying to figure out, like, she seems so strong out the get-go with her right. powers. And I really enjoyed in the first one watching her struggle trying to find her powers. Yeah. Rather than she almost seems like a superhero, you know, like she's well, slamming right. people into the wall. The she's minute- flipping dudes left and right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. a little, it's a little amped and I dropping think people. it would be. Yeah. And I think that that actually is because of how superhero movies have just seeped into everything. Like you need to have that big, you're right. 
that big moment or else it just doesn't seem to click. And, uh, and that's a shame yeah. because I think the thing that made the first one so good, um, or as good as it was, was, uh, the yeah. fact that, cause it had issues too, uh, was course, the fact yeah. that it, it, uh, she, she's not like all powerful, from the get go, even when yeah. she is, even, even when she gets to the end and she has embraced some of her power, she's still like, Nancy still kicks her ass for a while. Like it's, oh, yeah. you know, like Nancy's the one. So that's why I'm. Yeah. I get it. It's for a new generation. It's cool that they wanted to try it in the first place. The first one's obviously no matter what for me going to be my favorite. Cause that's the one that I grew up with. I understand right. all that. I just, I guess out of all of it, it boils down to. I, you know, I like the darker version than the, um, yeah, kind of more like pixie version, uh, as far as visuals. And I liked the, uh, practical, as much practical effects as they could get away with in the mm -hmm. first one more than what they seem to have here, which is a lot of CGI. Again, a lot yeah. of like Tinkerbell pixie dust magic happening. And, uh, and I, and I like how they, she was not powerful until the very last minute in the first one. Yeah. And, or, you know, if she was gaining in power and learning her jam versus like this girl seems to be uh, already kind of like, like maybe they've been moving because she has problems at every school with this power that she seems to have. Right, like, okay, right. I get it. But like, I don't know, like, don't give it to me out the gate yeah. so fast. But then again, who yeah. knows? Like, I think it would be cool too, with that shout out to Nancy in the trailer. Uh -huh. Like with the that there's some, like, I'll forgive a lot if they can actually have like a, a connection between why is this girl gaining so much power? Is it because of something Nancy's doing? on the flip side or is she connected to Nancy in some way? Like there's gotta be a twist there. Hopefully. Yeah. And, I'm sure there will be. And yeah. I can forgive it for that because I am a fangirl enough of the first one that if they pay homage to the first one with the second film, the way they properly should with yeah. something like that, even if I can see it coming, I'll still be much more into it than if they totally. let that out. Totally. My, my, my other, just, I, just to criticize this other shot, which I know makes me an asshole, but if you look at the shot, we are the weirdos from the original and the one from this trailer, they're just, if you're going to pay homage, you, you have to either recontextualize it or, uh, do it better, mm -hmm. but it's a similar situation. They're all gathered in a group speaking to a male character that said, watch out for the weirdos or whatever. But in the original, the shot is high looking down and not to sound like a fucking mansplainy film nerd who loves Tarantino films. But I and I don't even love Tarantino as much as you would assume. But the shot is high looking down. Mm -hmm. So we're looking down on these women. There's doors dirtying our foreground because of the bus. Right. Yeah. And each character is making a different expression. Yeah. Each of them are at different stages of feeling confident in that message. Obviously, Nancy's the most fucking confident. And badass, but everyone is making such a unique face. I can tell those characters and how they function together as a group from that still. That same still from the new movie is flat. It's eye level. It's everybody in a line, not staggered. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, and they're all making the exact same expression. They were all given the same direction of, well, yeah, like you're looking tough because you're badass witches. That's not to me what's going to make a great craft movie. Yeah. Maybe the performances are more unique and varied and the perspectives are more nuanced. But in the original, what was so exciting about it was how each of those characters were like really on a different 
page. Like they weren't ever all completely in sync. I mean, there was a time yeah. where they were and it felt really cohesive. But well, it, it was, was like, it was about how they couldn't really get together. Yeah. Well, it's like it, real females in high school. It, yeah. At least and real friendships and real friendships. At least, yeah. you know, from my personal experience, I really identified with that movie because I was like, yeah, there's always that one leader girl who kind of yeah. dominates the situation and you all right. kind of pander to her, not only because you want to get her attention and be in her good graces, but also because it's easier to deal with your day to day life keeping her happy because she's such a pain in the ass. Well, that's Nancy. And then from there, you, you know, every group has their idiosyncrasies and their little infightings and, and then also their, and also their, um, insecurities and what they're sensitive to. And and you got to see that in, you got to see that in the first one, at different times where I can't remember the main character's name on the, the with the red hair. I don't know. Oh, remember. the Robin Tunney character. Robin, yeah. Well, I can't remember her name. I mean, name. that's the actress. Yeah, but let me look up what the character's name is. She would have these one-on-one moments with all of these girls individually, and they would all have these little side comments on how they just deal with Nancy because they have to deal with Nancy. You know, like yeah. That, oh, Sarah. Sarah, yeah. And so that is, to me, you know, it, it, it's, what, it, what's, it's what makes those kind of movies so good. And by those kinds of movies, I'm talking like Heathers. And I'm talking yeah. Jawbreaker. And I'm talking The Craft. And I'm talking, um, um, what's the other one recently? The Burn Book one. We all oh, wear mean, pe- girls. mean girls. I mean, they're all the same movie, just with a different niche of of pop culture. You know, Nancy yeah. and her group are the Catholic girl slash punk rock kids, kind of, or goth kids. And then you've got, you know, um, I don't remember Jawbreaker actually all that well. I just remembered them killing her with it and sticking her in the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Jawbreaker in theaters, but I don't remember. I it think well. I did too. I don't remember though. Anyway, yeah. you get my point. My my I get it. my point is that um, that's what makes those good is the fact that there's all this kind of like unspoken um, social stratification even within the the mm-hmm. main group. And if that like hopefully we get that with this version of the craft, but in regards to your screenshot that you're talking about with the bus, it was very obviously there both on an acting level and on a visual level with the way they were staggered and how you had that shot um, and how versus the flat, everybody's in a row, everybody's the same person or everybody's making the same face. You know, it's just, yeah. 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 So we'll reserve judgment until we see it. I'll watch it. I don't know if you'll watch it, but I'll watch it when it comes out on VOD. And I'll eat crow I'll watch if, it it. Is, if it is a fantastic well, don't, sequel. Don't eat but... crow. No, ah, I'll eat crow. the crow. I'll put my VHS copy of the crow into my mouth. Don't eat the crow. Um, He's still the best. Wonderful. Oh my He's God. Could you best. imagine if they tried to remake the crow? Ugh. Well, they've been, you know, Momoa was supposed to be the crow. I, Momoa, I don't, I can't see him as the crow. I no, you got to I He's love too Momoa, beefy. He's too, he's too beefy and he's also too fun. He, his, mm-hmm. he's, he's a really, uh, you know, Gosh, like you need someone who's so tortured. Like this, this guy should not play the crow. But the the personality of the actor Jeremy Strong, who's on Succession as Kendall. I don't know if you've watched Succession, but no, 
He would not make a good crow, so don't quote me on that, but his energy is crow energy. He is so beaten down. He is so introverted in season two of Succession and so defeated. And there's this heaviness. There's this darkness. on. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Lee could really access that. He could really access yeah. the heavy. And I know he was a fun guy. Everybody says he was such a joy, but he also could tap into that. He darkness. was, yeah. I Yeah, I would actually say I think Momoa could pull off Lobo physically oh, without a doubt that's a perfect really well like he, he just be. like i mean acting wise who knows but just look wise like he actually yeah. just straight looks like that dude in his everyday life already i know, I know. so he would make like I if you're know. just trying to match the the actor with um the look he would make a good yeah. lobo but um well, i would actually I rather like see up- a spawn remake before i saw oh uh, well you know who's supposed to be doing on that topic, but you know who's supposed to be doing a Spawn remake is Blumhouse. Oh, no shit. Oh. Well. Blumhouse is supposed to be making a Spawn film with Jamie Foxx's Spawn and Todd McFarlane, the Spawn creator. Wait, I would go see that. And the director. And I'm fact, into Jamie Foxx's Spawn. Oh, I'm into Jamie Foxx's Spawn. Yeah. I'm, I'm the biggest Todd McFarlane fan, but even I don't know if he should direct the feature. I'm trying no. to grab my issue of Spawn number one, which is in my drawer right next to me. But um, but it, it's also been stalled. I don't know where it's at. But they were saying it was it was going. I mean, there's pictures of Jamie Foxx with Jason Blum and Todd McFarlane, like in the offices. That's like, fuck yeah, cool. we just signed the fucking deal. But that's pretty cool. I happened. like the Jamie Foxx of that. I agree with you. I don't know if I would. I don't know if sometimes having the creators be the directors is ever the best idea. But right. who knows? Well, my yeah, I won't go into my yeah. We we've. We've, I think we've taken up Weird of the Week with the craft discussion. Yeah, okay. About 25, so, 25 minutes on the craft. Yeah. So we I did. don't need to get into I'll save my Weird of the Week for next week. Yeah. Or honestly, who knows? Like, life is such a shit show at this point. I'm sure we'll have even better Weird of the Week news to pick from next week. I mean, next it's time. hard to find headlines that are Weird of the Week that are fun and not just bummers. Yeah. That's, I've actually, but, uh, yeah. Like, I, man, who would have thought that there was a time where I'd be like, man, I wish we had those, like, machete people shooting in front yards shitting in front yards the machete wielding clowns again like i miss I those days who knew that those were the best days God, I man i tell you can't take it you can't can't rest on your laurels you gotta appreciate you each moment as it gone. comes in totally mm-hmm. well speaking of that i <laughs> have been on these kicks lately of I don't know, like things just pop into my brain and I do these deep dives. And so I found I was going to ask one. you where these are coming from. From I don't know where they're coming from. I just happened upon these and then I've started keeping a list. So anytime something pops up into my into my brain pan or if I hear a story and I'm like, huh, that'd make a great, you know, uh, untold hour. I'm with the bizarre state. I make yeah. a great untold hour story. I um I make a list. And so I have a list now that I'm keeping which is so much more professional than what I was doing before. And uh, so it's actually pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's great. So I did another deep did either dive. Of us, real quick, did either of us do what we said we were going to do and watch Heavenly Creatures or the documentary about Anne Perry? Is I that her did name? watch the documentary about Anne Perry. So for oh, those, did? yes. Okay. So for those of you listening that hadn't uh, heard about Anne Perry, about two weeks ago, so two episodes back, Bowser and I had a deep dive into um, the real life story that Peter Jackson's movie, Heavenly Creatures, was based on. 
And for a long time, I saw Heavenly Creatures in college. And for a long time, I knew that it was attached to true events out of New Zealand, this murder uh, where these uh, two kids in particular, one of the kids being a daughter, uh, killed their mom or this girl's mom. It was her and her friend killed her mom and uh, uh, pretty like like bludgeoner like it was brutally brutally and it was like one of the biggest murders and crimes to have ever been committed in new zealand at that time um and it still ranks up there today people still talk about it obviously peter jackson wrote a movie about it and filmed it and it was like his big breakout here in hollywood and kind of made his career well in the course of that um one of the girls and i didn't know this at the time i actually found this out randomly somehow uh like a week before we started talking about it on the podcast, one of the girls turned out later in life to be this famous crime detective author uh, called Ann Perry. And she's been on like the New York Times bestseller list multiple times. She's received awards for her stories. Like she, she's a, a very well-respected crime very author. Very known, yeah. Very known, and uh, and it came out when the Peter Jackson movie came out that she was actually one of the girls that murdered this mom. <laughs> and and she, but what makes it even more crazy is that she, she talks, like the reason these girls like got together and bonded, there was a bunch of stuff, but in the end, the big thing that they were going to do together was they were going to grow up run away from home, move to Hollywood and become famous writers. And that's exactly what this woman ended up doing on top of murdering her friend's mom. Yes. It's just like, what the fuck? So anyway, because of that, and then because she's famous in and of her own right, before anybody knew that she was actually a murderer, they did this documentary. You can watch it on, I believe it's on Amazon Prime video or Amazon video, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's real boring. It's real fucking boring. It's like two hours of her. um, I mean, I I don't know how to read her. It's one of those things where you're like, dude, you are so like, she just doesn't give a fuck. She just doesn't give a fuck. She's living her life the way she wants to live it. She acknowledges that it happens. She like, she like writes it off by saying she's found Jesus and she accepts what she's done, but the you can just tell, like, I don't know, there's something about the attitude that just seems like she she's just not doesn't, taking responsibility. She, not that she's not taking responsibility. She takes responsibility. She doesn't give a shit. She just doesn't give wow. a shit. She is just doing it her fucking way. You she it is yeah. her it is literally her world, and the rest of us are just living in it. Like, except for the yeah. mom that she murdered. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, yeah. It's, it was really interesting. And part of me was like, like at first I was offended by her attitude when I was watching it. And then I was like, but you know, at some point, like, cause she killed that lady when she was in her teens and she did her time. She went to jail. And at some point you, you have to ask yourself, like, like if that's your life, like how am I, I, I got to just move on. Like, I just got to move right. on. Like, there's nothing I can do about changing this. So if I want to continue to right. live my life, I just got to get past this. And so, like, from that perspective, I yeah. kind of get it. Like, hey, man, she did her time. She did whatever. Like, you know, 
She, if she yeah. you know, if she's going to have any more punishment, it's going to come after she's dead. Like it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just, yeah. How I don't know if I would handle it any differently. It's just weird. I mean, first of all, I wouldn't kill anybody, but right. That would not, that'd be, that'd step be one. step one, but you know, I don't know if you're stuck if, anyway, but yes, I saw yeah. the documentary Okay. Um, and it sucked. It was boring. Okay. <laughs> I guess long story short, it was boring. All right. So yeah. let's move on to another mysterious woman because I've been all about these mysterious women lately. I don't know how I stumbled upon this lady. I'd never heard of her before ever. Um, I don't know how she cropped up. But it, uh, her name is Ida Wood. So The Mysterious Life of Ida Wood is what I am titling this particular Untold Hour episode. So basically, how did a socialite turn recluse uh, fake her entire life? She faked, it mm-hmm. the, she faked the whole damn thing. I mean, and this woman was rich, like beyond, like beyond, like of the times where she was living. Because she died in, I think, the 30s. She was, uh, oh, her, wait till I tell you her money, okay. sitch. But it's like, you know, finding out that Paris Hilton or like Kim Kardashian uh, has, is not actually Kim Kardashian, but she's somebody totally else. <laughs> like, yeah. like not even related to the Kardashians in any way, shape or form. Like she's just came out of left field, said she was like a long lost daughter of so-and-so that was part of the family and they just accepted her with open arms. It's weird. Interesting. So on March 5th of 1931, a 93-year-old recluse named Mrs. Ida Wood for the first time in 24 years popped her head out of her Herald Square hotel room door number 522 and called for help because her elderly sister who lived with her was sick and Mrs. Ida believed that she might be dying. So over the next 24 hours, a myriad of people end up coming in and out of room 522 for the first time ever since 1907 when Ida and her sister first got the, um, you know, a, a hotel. it's a hotel room, but she treated it as an apartment. So I might go back and right. forth between hotel room and apartment. It is basically her apartment. Yeah. Hotel managers, doctors, and eventually an undertaker because Miss Ida's sister died. Her name was Miss Mary E. Mayfield. Um, She was found lying on a couch in the parlor with a sheet over the top of her, surrounded by telltale signs of hoarding. You had like tons of yellowing newspapers everywhere, old dried up cracker boxes, used string, receipts, just tons of garbage, just like floor to ceiling garbage. Um. After the death of her sister, Miss Mayfield, it was determined that since 1907, only a handful of the hotel staff actually ever saw or even encountered the two sisters. I mean, literally, it was like four four people since 1907. It is now 1931 when this goes down. And only like you can count on one hand how many people have seen and or even talked to them. Yeah. Two times, one of the floor maids managed to convince them to hand over soiled sheets so that she could clean them and replace them. She was never allowed in the apartment. Nobody was. A bellhop would knock on their door once a day to just check on them and see if they needed anything like milk, cheese, whatever. 
Uh-huh. Sometimes they would blow him off. Sometimes they would have him get stuff for them. They would always pay for everything in cash. And every time she would do it, she would give him a 10 cent tip and say, this is the last of my money. I don't have no more money. <laughs> like, just, you know, but he did it. He did it not for the tips. He did it because yeah. he was like, there's these two old ladies living in there that never come out. So like, I got to make sure they're not dead and they need yeah. food. Um, so yes, they would always pay their uh, bills in cash. The manager who was there when the sister died, had actually been working at that hotel for seven years and hadn't seen them once. Didn't even know that they were there, that they were who they were. Like he basically just got called up because there was an emergency and he's like, who the fuck is this? (laughs) I've been here seven years. I didn't even know you were here. So like, yeah, like total, total recluse. So this actually turned in, like, so unfortunately, Ida's sister's passing away turned into a big problem for Ida. Uh, It kind of all started to fall apart from there. So they're taking away her sister's body and Ida starts talking about her past to folks in the room. And she mentions how she was a celebrated Southern belle and a famous socialite. Once she had moved to the North, she married this guy named Benjamin Wood and had a stack of money hidden away somewhere in her bedroom. So um, I believe what ends up happening next is They get a lawyer involved. I don't know who actually gets the lawyer involved. If it's Ida herself or the hotel to try and help her, or if it's just kind of like a family lawyer that gets involved in the mix because of Mary passing away. Yeah. Um, But somehow a lawyer gets involved and starts investigating Ida's stuff. He finds that it is beyond a stack of money in her bedroom. Like, holy crap. So Ida owned around $175,000 worth of Union Pacific stock and had not cashed in their dividends in years. So she had tons of money in that. In 1901, Ida actually sold her husband's paper, the New York Daily News, to the New York Sun for $250,000. In 1907, at the height of the financial panic. Now, I never heard of the financial panic. Everybody, when you hear like monetary panics in the United States, you think the depression or basically what we're potentially going through now, or, you know, like more recent stuff that you're familiar with, which for me, it would have been like the housing market crash, like at the start of the 2000s and things of that nature. I never heard of the financial panic. So for those that didn't know, it was the panic of 1907. This is a quote that I snagged off of Wiki. Also known as the 1907 banker's panic or Knickerbocker crisis. It was a financial crisis that took place in the United States over a three-week period starting in mid-October when the New York Stock Exchange fell almost 50% from its peak the previous year. So this hits, and it's at the height of this 1907 financial panic. And Ida straight walks into her bank and demands all of her assets right then and there in cash, which equaled about a million dollars at the time in 1907. And she stuffs that shit in her purse and walks out. Wow. (laughs) Um, Shortly afterwards, she starts making the statement that she's tired of everything and basically checks herself into the Herald Square Hotel and promptly disappears from society and hmm. uh, nobody knows where she goes. And that's where we find ourselves now in 1931 with the death of her sister. They're still living in that same hotel in that same mm-hmm. set of rooms. 
and uh, and uh, shit's about to go south. So just a little bit of backstory. So they find out all this stuff. Ida's telling them while they're coming in to take her sister's body away, like, this is this used to be my life. This is what I used to do. She's just chit-chatting, right? And they're all thinking she's senile because she's like in her 90s. But it all starts checking out. Kinda. Kinda. Because yeah. like what she's saying is true, but only true because her entire life is a lie, which makes no sense, but is what happens. Yeah. So she was actually born Ellen Walsh in 1838 to Irish immigrant peddlers. And then at the age of 19, she changed her name to Ida E. Mayfield and then headed to New York City and basically never looked back. And it was in New York City that the previous Ellen, now Ida, took to studying the gossip and society pages in order to reinvent herself, to teach herself how to be a lady, to see who's who in New York, to look for bachelors. Uh Uh-huh. She doesn't find a bachelor. She finds a married man, but she goes for it anyway. (laughs) She comes across a ton of articles about this guy named Benjamin Wood. He's a 37-year-old married politician and businessman who was a co-owner of the New York Daily News and was the brother of the mayor at the time, Fernando Wood. So he's a big deal. Uh, Knowing that the two would never meet if she stuck to her standard social circles because it was very, you know, classist then as it always has been. Mm -hmm. Um, Ida instead just straight fucking goes for it. Like, like the, the 19, the night, where, what, what year is it at this point? Uh, 57, uh, 1857, 1850. Yeah. 18. I sure. Yes. 1857. She straight goes for it and does the 1857 version of sliding into your DMS Yeah, like, straight. Does it? She sends him this like for the time bold and scandalous leather. And it is thus. May 28th, 1857. Mr. Wood, sir, having heard of you often, I venture to address you from hearing a young lady, one of your former loves, speak of you. She says you are fond of new faces. I fancy that as I am new in the city and in affairs de cour, I do not know what that means. Look that up. (laughs) Affairs de cour, that I might contract an agreeable intimacy with you of as long a duration as you saw fit to have it. I believe that I am not extremely bad looking nor disagreeable, perhaps not quite as handsome as the lady with you at present, but I know a little more. And there is an old saying that knowledge is power. I mean, it basically means love affair. I mean, the fact that she's like, I, I, <laughs> I know a little more of things yeah. to do to you, sir. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps not quite as handsome as the lady you are with at present, but I know a little more. And there is the old saying that knowledge is power. Uh, (laughs) if you would wish an interview address a letter to north broadway po new york stating what time we may meet wow (laughs) did you look up affairs de cour this pretty much just means love affair oh okay so she should and she's okay i fancy that i kind of means like cry of the heart or something yeah so she's basically saying hey i mean you're like she slides into his yeah yeah she's in his dms 1857 style and is like are you dtf you yeah, yeah yeah you up oh my god i said i love finding shit like this though from back then because it shows you how little shit has actually changed right it hasn't people changed at all people are yeah. exactly the same as they've always been fucking you know for better or for worse 
It is. It's just like how, how, how your DMs come across. Like you're either yep. going to write it in a fancy letter on pretty blue paper like she did, or you know, you're going to drop somebody a text or like yeah. some bullshit thing like that. It's just so funny. I love it. I love how stressed people get over societal changes and this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, nah, I don't fucking see. You're all the same. It's all the same. I know. Forever. I know. It's the same no matter how many social media apps we have. Yep, totally. Anyway, of course, Benjamin Wood swipes right. And he's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, man. He takes the bait and he agrees to meet with Ida and then states later that he was actually pleasantly surprised to find that she was not at all bad looking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's no profile pic to go on. No. You know? He's just like, yeah, she wasn't bad. It actually was like a nice, nice, nice little treat to this. Yeah. So it's during that meeting that Ida, who's really Ellen, begins selling the fabricated history of her background to Benjamin. She tells Benjamin that she's actually the daughter of Henry Mayfield, a Louisiana sugar planter, and Anne Mary Crawford, a descendant of the Earls of Crawford, who are an actual family. Yeah. She's just not a part of it, though, even though she's saying she is. Needless to say, Ida immediately becomes Benjamin's new mistress, going to assume probably that night, and stayed in that relationship for the next 10 years. So it was like she was his hardcore side piece, like Mm -hmm. dedicated side piece. Like They don't say if he had any other affairs above and beyond her after that. They just say they are together for 10 years as his mistress, all the way up until the death of Benjamin's wife, who, by the way, was his second wife at the time, Delia yeah. Wood. So Delia dies. She's been mar- He's been married this whole time. After Delia's death, Ida basically gets upgraded by Benjamin into the now open position of being an official Mrs. Benjamin Wood, and they get married in 1867 and have a daughter named Emma. Remember I mean, honestly, that. That like, comes in. That's important okay. later. That they have a daughter. If I was alive back then, and somebody was like, "Hey, who are you?" I'd be like, "I'm the son of a famous rich person." I mean, I would lie too. Why not? It's it just seems like it was a. I'm always surprised when I watch period pieces and people are honest about anything. Yeah, because it's not like any of it can be fucking traced. You know what I've always wondered, and this is a hard like this is in agreement to what you're saying, but like a Uh further like a harder left about it. I've always wondered where like. People are out in the West, the wild West, and they're just like out in the woods. And like, like if you ever gone to a a national park and gotten lost or taken a big hike, like the woods are thick, like it's easy to get lost in the woods. How are people ever found, like hunted down and found when they did something bad? Why wouldn't you just pick up and move? Like you could go anywhere. Nobody could find you. How did people get found? Totally. How did people get, how did people, how did everybody just not get away with everything? Yeah. I right? Know. I don't know. Strange. Or maybe not. I don't know. I didn't live back then, so I have no idea. Maybe they needed to all be going to the same places because that's the only place that had any things for them. You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. Oregon yeah. Trail style. Like, you got to stick to the road or else it all goes downhill from there. Yeah. All right. So anyway, back on the Ida story. So Ida is now Mrs. Benjamin Wood. They have a daughter named Emma, which is important to remember because it comes into play later. Um, And by all intents and purposes, they have a wonderful, not only a wonderful 10-year love affair behind his second wife's back, but uh, an ongoing loving marriage for however long. Yeah. I can't remember when Benjamin dies. Maybe I put it in my notes, but oh, he died in 1900. So they have a a decent, they have a great life together. All told, 
Ida and Benjamin have a happy marriage. If there's one issue between them, it's that that Ida is a very avid saver of money. She loves to fucking save money. Uh And Benjamin's main vice is gambling. So he loves Uh to win big and he loves to lose big. And he does. He wins big and he loses big. In fact, Ida ends up distrusting him with money so much that after he goes out gambling, she often tracks him down at the end of the night and hangs out in front of whatever club he's gambling in. And when he gets into the carriage to take them home, she says, if you, you like, she basically takes half of his winnings. She's just like, give me half the money, give it to me. So she ends up eventually making a straight agreement with him that says that she will, if he, she will not ride his ass about gambling as much as he does. As long as if he wins, he shares half of it with her. And if he loses, that's on him. He covers the loss. Like that's all his own shit. Yeah. So he agrees to this, right? And they're great. They're fine. Like he wins some, he loses some, but not so much that they can't survive, or at least it doesn't come across that in this article. Especially later on when you find out how much money she has, I guess she wasn't hurting. So that was the deal and, and life's good. So it goes this way uh, up until he dies in 1900. And then after he dies, because he's pretty famous, you know, obviously he's a really famous businessman. He owned and owns this like newspaper, uh, that's popular in New York. He, his brothers used to be the mayor. I don't know if he was still the mayor at the point where he died in the 1900s, but at one point, Fernando was his mayor or was the mayor. Anyway, blah. He gets reported on. His death gets reported on and covered. Um, and a lot of people come out and say, yeah, you guys might not know that he's not nearly as well off as y'all thought he was. You know, he was supposed to be this millionaire, but he didn't really have this much money. Well, what they don't mm-hmm. tell you is the reason he didn't have any of those holdings was because by this point, it was all in Ida's name because he gambled so much that she just eventually kept getting all his shit because he would right. her half of all of his winnings. So anything that he would get, whether he was betting money or at one point he tried to bet the newspaper that he owned and all this other stuff, she gets half of it. She gets half of the winnings. Yeah. So when he won back the newspaper, she gets half. Like it's all in her name. So they were still loaded. It just wasn't under his title. Yeah. So now, so that's then. So fast forward to the 1930s. In between the 1900s where her husband dies up into the 1930s, that's what we talked about at the top where the financial crisis hit, she walks into her bank, she demands all of money, she sells the newspaper, this, that, and the other thing, right? Yeah. So now fast forward to the 1930s. After her sister's death, Mary, up at the top that we talked about, word eventually gets out that this rich eccentric lady has been uncovered living in the Herald Square Hotel. They tried to keep it quiet. The lawyers tried to keep it quiet, but it gets out that there's this like crazy rich cat lady living in this hotel. Yeah. That hasn't come out in like however many years. Sure enough, shortly after the gossip starts hitting the streets and getting around some of Ida's, and I'm using air quotes here, family start coming forward to claim her. Otis Wood who claimed that he was the son of Fernando Wood, Benjamin's brother, and therefore Ida's nephew. He states that he is her nephew and wants to take care and help Ida. Lawyers 
the lawyers involved invite Otis as well as three of his brothers into Ida's business affairs. And then shortly thereafter, some of Benjamin's children from his first marriage actually come forward and hire their own law firm and lawyer to look into Ida. And keep in mind, this is now in the 1930s. So this is when the depression is beginning. They declare her incompetent on September of 1931 in order, in my opinion, they don't say this outright in any of the articles or anything, right. but in my opinion, to start hunting down her money. Yeah, trying to scoop that loot. Yeah, trying to scoop the loot. So with the help of nurses and now this extended family, and they're all present, and they're all keeping eyes on Ida, they move Ida into two rooms directly below the ones that she had been living in so that they can basically, probably A, clean them because they were yeah. gross. Because this woman, like, yeah, Ooh. like I didn't go into it, but she was living in filth. Like she herself had not bathed in years. She would spend her time rubbing Vaseline on her skin and smoking. Like it was, yeah, yeah, just was not a pretty sight. So part of it is probably they want to fumigate those rooms, but another yeah. part of it is they want to go through Ida's shit. So they move Ida downstairs directly below the two rooms that she was in. And this is a quote from one of the articles. She wept as they escorted her downstairs. Why, she asked, I can take care of myself. And here's the thing. Obviously, she's, she's elder. She's 90. She's like, she can't take care of herself per se. Yeah. But she's still with it. She's not senile at all. She's really sharp. She knows what's happening. She's suspicious of the nurses. Uh, not necessarily, uh, without reason because of something I'm about to say in a second, but you know, like she's not, she's not, not there mentally. Yeah. Physically, who knows? They don't really go into it all that much. Obviously she was struggling to take care of herself or else things wouldn't have gotten as bad as they did in her other apartment. Mm -hmm. But, um, she's not, she's not, not there. Yeah. So she's obviously very upset that she's getting moved and the family is taking advantage of her, basically. So they start going through her old apartments, her old suite, um, and found what, in my opinion, I guess they didn't hit upon this that hard in the article, but in my opinion, they found what they were really looking for, which was $247,000, or I'm sorry, $247,200, am I saying this wrong? $247,200, thank you, in cash, hidden inside an old shoebox, $500,000 in cash. And this is where I said she was suspicious of nurses and had the right to be. $500,000 in cash hidden in a pocket underneath her dress that she was wearing that a nurse found when she searched Ida while Ida was sleeping. That's crazy. So this fucking nurse goes up under Ida's skirts while she's sleeping and finds a hidden pocket and pulls out $500,000 and then reports it. Fuck you, lady. Yeah. Oh, my God. That pissed me off when I read that. I was so angry. They then searched Ida's 57 trunks, some of which were in storage in the basement of the hotel and some which were in a warehouse somewhere else in the city. In the trunks, they found bolts of fine lace from ireland venice and spain um lace back then was handmade the expensive stuff and it took a long time so bolts of fabric like that were worth a lot of fucking money a lot armfuls of gowns necklaces tiaras jewelry bracelets other pieces that were gem encrusted all which were apparently legit like actual like real jewelry not costume like good stuff Mm -hmm. 
several gold certificates dating back to the 1860s worth $1,000 to $10,000 each, a gold-headed ebony walking stick, which was a family heirloom given to them by President James Monroe, Hmm. an 1867 letter from Charles Dickens to Benjamin Wood, which was her husband, $40,000 diamond necklace found stuffed inside a cracker box. (laughs) All this shit. After this discovery, the family members looking to help Ida then had her recently deceased. Oh, fuck. I forgot about this until I started reading. Oh, my God. Okay. So if the nurse going up this old lady's skirts while she was sleeping to search her wasn't bad enough. So they find all this. They find the money on Ida. Mary, her sister, just died. Guess what they fucking do? Well, I can see what they do. Oh, that's right. I sent you the notes. In the dock. I would, you know nuts. what? Shit. I wish I hadn't sent you that because I would have loved to have sprung this on you. Well, for those I probably would have guessed. I was going to guess, honestly, like, did they, was her sister cremated and they went through the remains no. to see if there, were, if there were jewels down in there? No. Well, well yeah. Worse, she was not, really. yeah, she wasn't cremated, but yes, they did that. Basically, realizing that Ida had this money on her. Mary had recently died. Nobody had been at the funeral for Mary, probably except for Ida, if Ida even went, because she never left the room. Like, nobody knew. Yeah. They go and disinter her deceased sister so they could check her body to see if she was buried with anything that they would want. But that's crazy. Because why would Ida... If they're looking for money and jewels and necklaces and bolts of expensive fabric, why would they? Why would Ida have buried any of that with her sister? Well, I will say, it's not that crazy. Like Ida stored you this. Think? Like Ida, squirreled- but it was all stored in places that she could still access. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So yes, you are correct. And had they thought it all the way through. Probably, but there's always that suspicion that Ida yeah. squirreled this money away in so many places, a lot of which she forgot she even had. You know, she didn't have it's not like they found money that she knew where all of it was. I think yeah. Ida knew and they where, thought she was senile, or at least that was the no, I think I don't think she they thought that they in reality. Yeah, I mean, I think they thought it in the sense of how she was taking care of herself. But the woman was smart enough that she wasn't yeah. mentally incapable of, yeah. you know, she probably would have in today. I would say she probably needed to live in nurse. Totally. But she didn't need to be declared senile and incapable of handling her shit because yeah. she was still with it. So what I think they did is I think she had so much money that she had squirreled away because that's just what she did. Mm -hmm. that she forgot about pockets of it. So she knew where most of it was or where the big chunks of it were, but she didn't know where all of it was, you know? Or she did and she just forgot that she had put it there. So I think that the family assumed, I think the family assumed there's probably little chance that she buried anything with Mary, Yeah, but there's always that possibility Or keep in mind, Mary was a part of this as well. Mary is also not really Mary. Mary is another, like an actual family member that also changed her name. Yeah. Mary might have just had it on her and didn't say anything because some of this was Mary's. And then Mary just got buried. 
So they're like, okay, well, let's yank Mary out of there and see what Mary's got. Needless to say, like yeah. you said, to your point, um, I'd have, I'd have kept things where she could be could get to them. Mary was found not having anything in her casket other than her remains. Yeah. So she wasn't actually yeah. buried with anything. But the fact that they even fucking did that blows my goddamn mind. After mm-hmm. finding all this other stuff, after finding all this other money that they could that, that they're basically taking from her, they still go one more step and un- disinter her sister. Wild. To look. Anyway. So yes, after this discovery, the family members looking to help Ida then had her sister's or her recently deceased sister's remains disinterred so they could check her and see if they had been buried or see if she had been buried with anything worthwhile. But the undertaker actually found nothing but Mary Mayfield's remains. And so at that point, all that is left for the family to do is just wait for Mrs. Ida Wood to die, mm-hmm. which she doesn't go quickly. <laughs> She's like fucking over like, fuck you. So Ida's pissed and she doesn't go quick. Like I said, she often fights with her nurses and remains alert and suspicious of them as much as she can. Uh, So much so that when the chance arises, she would often go and scream for help outside of her window when the windows were left open, trying to scream loud enough to go over the din of New York City. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to declaring that she was being held prisoner. So she knew what was up and she was trying to get them to free her. Uh, In addition to the family members already circling her like buzzards, at this point, the Mayfield family members actually start jockeying for attention. But keep in mind, she's not really a Mayfield. She's not really any of these people. I mean, maybe if anybody has claims to her money, it might be the Wood children because she was actually married to Benjamin Wood. But the Mayfields have no claim because she just plucked that last name out of thin air because she yeah. liked it. But they come forward anyway and start claiming that they're that she's their dear lost aunt. They love her, this, that, and the other thing. So mm-hmm. in total, at some point, about a 406 people claimed to be her heirs kind but of gosh, like, alive. That's wild to me. Over what? Like a million dollars maybe? I mean – were were her cash assets all that she had? Well, she had point- the ca- she had the cash. She had um the diamonds, the gold, the jewelry. Sure, the lace. it's not like she had. I mean, she still had stock. She had stock in Union yeah. Pacific. She had like she had she had. It was a significant amount. I guess it was enough for like four hundred and six people to be clamoring to. It was a lot. Be proven as her heirs, yeah. Yeah, and keep in mind this is nineteen thirty six millions of dollars. It's not like millions of dollars right. in L A. in twenty twenty, which won't get yeah. you back shit. It's like a lot of money, and everybody's in the middle of the depression, so yeah, any cash is. A good thing. So, yeah. you know, I think I think part of the issue as well was that these um, three brothers that they had invited in that were part of the ne- uh, the Wood family that were saying that they were nephews of Ida, I think they were struggling as well. I th- read somewhere yeah. that they were not well off. And so when sh- her stuff came to the surface that she had all this money, that's kind of why they stepped into the mix is because of all of this other stuff. So anyway, in total, at some point, 406 people claimed to be her heir. All of it's fake. Well, except for maybe mm-hmm. the woods. Uh, by this point, Ida's like, I'm done. I give up. Fine. You fuckers win. Uh, and she basically starts waiting to die. 
She gets her wish on March 12, 1932 and passes away. Uh, only then were her lawyers or any lawyers able to actually unravel the mystery behind her life and discover who she really was. Nobody had any idea. And check this fucking shit out. So we went over this before, but I'll go over it again. Ida was not the daughter of Henry Mayfield, but instead was the daughter of Thomas Walsh, an immigrant peddler who had settled in Malden, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Her mother had very little education, despite what Ida had said. Ida would tell people often that her mother was very well educated. She was, you know, her own like famous society woman. Uh, None of that was true. Her mother actually was very poorly educated and had grown up within the slums of Dublin. Mm-hmm. basically changed her surname from Walsh to Mayfield in her teens just because she likes the way it sounded. And mm-hmm. her sister, Mary, who is the Mary that died at the top of the story, did the exact same. And Emma would. So we're back to Emma. Remember the daughter yeah. that her and Benjamin had when they finally officially got married? Emma Wood, the daughter that she had had with Benjamin Wood, wasn't actually her daughter, but another sister. Benjamin. Huh. Benjamin knew it by that time and just kept Ida's secret until he died. Wow. Yeah. And Emma at this point had passed away. She died when she was 71, which so her mother outlived her by a lot. Yeah. Just before she died, Ida shared one last memory, although who knows if it's the truth or not, but she did say that as a young girl, she had seen an old gypsy seer woman advertising palm readings. And so she went in to have her future told. The woman looking at her palm said, my dear, this is a quote, my dear, you are going to be a very lucky girl. You are going to marry a rich man and get everything you want out of this life. Mm -hmm. Except for when your deadbeat nephews find you and then it's all going to shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Trip, huh? So how do you even come across? It's not like Ida Wood would be suggested to you on like Instagram. How do you even come across this? I have no. First of all, it very well could have been suggested to me on Instagram. I follow some weird (laughs) shit. Yeah, I guess that's true. Which side note, what the fuck Instagram? I do not understand that algorithm at all. I follow basically... Like fashion, makeup, and a couple friends. And then I follow like one or two art stuff, like art, art, uh, art history things, because I yeah. love art history. And then, um, and that's kind of it. Yeah. And when I go into it's suggested, like trying to find new stuff, like I've tapped out of like watching all my friends post pictures of whatever <laughs> and i'm like yeah. okay it's time to expand or i bought the same shit you know five times off of an instagram ad i go to the little suggestions page and it's always garbage i'm like it's right. never anything like any algorithm should ever try to get me to click on what i find is the algorithm suggests i follow more of the thing that annoys me yes like the algorithm can't tell that some of the things you follow are just like people you're keeping track of that you're frustrated by or like yeah, you know people that you have many you're of those. Like, oh, I I follow people that I'm like jealous of. You know, it's because I want to see like hurt what yourself? opportunities they're getting. Yeah, hurt oh, myself. Okay. Um, but uh, sometimes so Instagram will like be like follow more of those types, and I'm like, no, don't you get it? Yeah. I'm doing that to agitate myself. Instagram's always oh trying to gosh. get me to follow celebrity news for some reason. Yeah. I think Instagram just doesn't know what to do with me. They're like, okay, you're buying all of this basic bitch outfit makeup stuff. 
but then you're looking at like weird history and you're reading about shit like this, Ida Wood. Yeah, exactly. Like, who the fuck are you, lady? And like, yeah, totally. <laughs> so they just sort of dump, you know, and then over here, this, today I decided to fall down into an anime hole. Like, they just don't get it. Yeah. They can't figure it out. So they just like dump all their leftovers in my suggestions. Yeah. Tab. And I'm like, what, what the fuck is this? Yeah, and basically see what sticks. Anyway, well, that was, that was my uh, story of Miss Ida Wood. I don't remember how I came across her. It very well, well could have been one of my weird of the week Instagram follows. And I was right. just like, oh, holy shit, that's a cool story. Um, but anyway, I highly recommend you guys look it up. I got, mm, I got a lot of my information off of a very good article written by the Smith- Smithsonian Magazine. Um, it was probably the best article I found on her. There's a few more if you want to do your own search. Um, again, I will try to list it in our Facebook page uh, notes just so that you guys can have it, but probably won't since I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've been on the road so much. I forgot when we actually go live and I only discover it when I see your Instagram posts that we've gone live and I'm like, Wednesdays. Oh, 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 see? Yeah. I was thinking Thursdays. Yeah. Um so yeah, anyway. Awesome. It's a cool story. Okay. How do I want to start this? Okay, everybody. So here's the deal. We know that this has been a long episode. We were going to choose one listener story just because it's been a while since we did listener stories. And I also wanted to apologize for everybody that has been dealing with our intros. <laughs> give you something good. And I picked one randomly off of the Discord that I have. And it's so wonderfully poetically written that I think we would only do it justice if Onyx made a rare appearance and joined us on this episode of the untold hour in order to read this letter and do it proper justice. So Onyx, would you like to take it away? Oh, it'd be my pleasure. This happened too many a moon ago, long before my wife and I divorced, prior even to receiving my daughter into this awfully uncertain world. I don't know. I was just about to lay down for the night. My alarm clock marked 11.45. The local channels had ceased transmission, displaying only static grain. I took a moment to gaze upon my then-partner, soundly slumbering the hours away. Adorably serene, beautiful as no other. Then the clock, and the textured ceiling for the last time that evening, finally succumbing to the spell of one Morpheus. Quietude and uneventfulness reigned until, insert favored onomatopoeia, I hear a clay pot from the garden break after tragically meeting the concrete atop which it was suspended. I sprung out of bed and hurriedly ran towards the source of the strepitous noise. My garden seemed empty and undisturbed, except only for the pot scattered over cement and grass in uncountable pieces, or so I thought. Amongst the shadows that darkened the corner of said patio, a human shape began to take form, or rather, become clear and distinct the closer to me it advanced. At first I said to myself, yet audibly, it must be a derelict, a homeless person, looking for something that he can sell on the streets in order to solvent one of his vices, which seemed a perfectly reasonable hypothesis, until I saw his elongated, crooked grin, the uneven, deep, and inhumanely crimson skin that stretched over his protuberant, osseous structure. Then, in what must have been a fraction of an instant, he picked up a still-intact clay ornament and launched it at me. Despite my overwhelming somnolence, my hand somehow managed to intervene more centimeters from my chest. It proved inordinately painful, to say the least. And it, the entity on the other side of the garden, a true disappearing act. For when I returned, my startled stare, entirely gone it was. 
as though what had just transpired never happened. As promptly as it had all occurred, I found myself back in my bed and proceeded to open my exhausted eyes to meet the ceiling once more. My television set lied there devoid of programming, emitting the incoherent sound of background radiation just as I left it. My side table clock marked now 11.15 p.m. I noticed with frigid astonishment, after which my hands started to ache intolerably, and a sinking sense of confused panic overtook my every manner and consideration. Yelling, I called for my wife to return to consciousness, hoping that she would aid me in making sense of it all. Her head turned slowly toward me, as beautiful as no other, save for an elongated, crooked grin that now usurped her once delightful smile. Whoa! Bravo! Creepy. I mean, if that wasn't meant for Onyx, I don't know what was. Also, yeah. I think we just figured out our new uh, shtick for listener stories. Oh my gosh, totally. Onyx? If there's ever one that's this verbose. No way, man. I think Onyx needs to You just to think read all, all of them? them? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just pick one. That's great. You just instead bring of, in Onyx for listener yeah, stories? Yeah. Instead of rolling through three. That's hilarious. Like me and you talking, I feel like Onyx. Or yeah. maybe help me come up with a character or something. Although oh, I don't totally. know if I could ever do it. But we'll see. That's uh, fantastic. I like that. I like the, I, I, this, might, this might be my new favorite thing that we've ever Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. Well, guys, cool. that's it. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, Untoldians, for listening to this episode of The Untold Hour. Hopefully, you enjoyed the mysterious life of Ida Wood, who was uh, rich AF and a bold woman sliding into people's DMs and in saying she's down to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 1807 or whenever. The, 1857. Yeah, yeah, 1857. All right. With that, guys, good night and Bowser. This has been Andrew Jess. Oh, Jesus fuck. Andrew Jess? Andrew Jess. Keep that in, Aristotle. Oh, you know what? Maybe Here you we should go. do it as maybe you should do it as Onyx. Oh, that's true. Maybe Onyx should come in and do the NPR yeah. outro. All right, here All right. we go. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. This has been Andrew Bowser and Jessica Chobot. And you've been listening. To the untold hour. I don't know. Bye. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of the untold hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bizarre. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to the untold hour pod at gmail.com. Come join the untold hour convo over on my discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Starbanks Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.